Today we're going to do a, a sermon in three scenes. And you know what they do like in between scenes uh, when they're like filming movies? They, they have the little thing, the clapper, and they go like this. I'm sure it's not called a clapper. What's, what? Slate. It's called a slate. So every, everybody, let's do this. Like scene one. Ready? One more time. It's a little bit weak, but by the end of the sermon, uh, you'll get it. Uh, ready? Uh, Blue Water Sermon, scene one. All right. If you've been following the news uh, this week, you know that there were some uh, tragic shootings in a couple cities uh, in the east. There was one in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, one in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, where um, black men uh, were shot and killed by police officers and been much in the news. Uh, we've heard some more of the Black Lives uh, Matter movement and some tragic stories uh, of these family. I, uh, following along uh, like other people in the nation, and, and I, was, I was struck this week by a, uh, a story in CNN.com. Uh, I usually get my news online. And, and the headline uh, read um, something like, uh, Char- Charlotte Burns, Tulsa Praise. And it was just a study in two different reactions to the tragedies that took place uh, in, in these cities. Unquestionably tragic, you know, and, and you hear the stories of the families and the things that were going on with the men uh, that were killed, so there's just no, no two ways about that. In, in Tulsa, a man named Terrence Crutcher uh, was, was killed, a black man, apparently an unarmed black man, shot and killed by a white police officer all sorts of uh, gnarly and tragic subtext going on with that one. And Tulsa raised up in anger and filled the churches. Uh, and, and the story was that the churches just got filled with prayer meetings, people expressing a, a righteous grief and a righteous anger, um, but taking it uh, to the Lord. And the churches were just uh, overflowing uh, with, uh, with aggrieved people. Tragic. Uh, but in a way filled with love and comfort and and beauty. Nonetheless, God bless them. That's all I can say about that. And then in Charlotte, a man named Keith Scott was shot and killed. Keith Scott, uh, a young black man, um, apparently in videos and photographic evidence and testimonies, he had a gun uh, when he was killed. Um, as his fingerprints and DNA on it, and there are photos of it, but his family claimed otherwise, uh, which touched off mass riots, riots in which at least one other person got killed, civilians killing civilians, lots of burning, lots of looting. And the CNN story, uh, and, and the officer that, that shot and killed uh, Mr. Scott uh, was himself uh, a black man. So less, less clear in, in, in that city uh, exactly what was going on in terms of racial overtones and such, but the riots were, were immense and deadly. And this story in CNN.com was just meditating on the differences, the different reactions in the two places. When tragedy happens, do you pray and you love, or do you get uh, very, very angry, uh, jumping to the worst conclusions possible and become violent? Uh, and I don't know what all of the answers are, but when I look at those two cities, I, I, I vote for love somewhere in the mix. And as we continue to pray, oh yeah, as we continue to pray for uh, these things uh, going on in our nations, these terrible themes that keep bubbling up to the surface, uh, racially charged and hatefully charged, 
sometimes. I, I just want to pray that they're also lovingly charged. Um, so anyway, uh, my two cents on that. It got me thinking this week uh, a lot about uh, love and in particular about our strategies for getting love. Uh, when, I, when I read things about you know, these mass reactions um, in, in different cities, um, I, I, I think about how people like to be loved, <laughs> you know, and um, I've developed this habit when I read through these stories of these epic tragedies um, of looking for the word love to see if I can find it anywhere in any of, of the media reports. I, I did find some mentions of love in the stories about what was going on in Tulsa this week, which is encouraging. But people get so angry, and, I, and, and, and you know, right, rightly so, but I kind of read it as a heart cry for love, and all of us have this heart cry for love. All of us has this, have this heart cry for, for being loved, for getting loved, and, and, and we have strategies for getting the love that we need to survive in the world. Uh, one strategy, if you want to be loved, is that you love, right? That you, if you want to be loved, you be loving. You, you give love uh, away freely, indiscriminately, uh, as, as Jesus taught. Um, that sort of loving stance in life is both godly and purpose-driven because in some way we are all purposed, we are all designed to love. We're certainly designed to be loved, but we're also designed to love. And when we talk about having a big God-given purpose in your life, what we're talking about is, well, how are you uniquely going to bring the love of God and express the love of God uh, in the world? If you are a loving person, then you're really set up nicely to be a purpose-driven person. You can just let it go. If you are a loving person, and I love you actively uh, this week, then we both win. Because I'm going to love you as a loving person. I try to be a loving person. And what's going to happen? You're going to love me right back. And we're going to figure it out, aren't we? And then there's the strategy for getting love, which I call the strategy of being lovable. That what you try to do is just be very easy to love. Now, there are good and bad ways to do that. For instance, one way to be lovable is to be very loving. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good strategy. Uh, um, there are shallower ways. One way to be lovable is to be very physically attractive in our culture. Now, sometimes that's okay, sometimes that's bad. Uh, when I take my wife out on a date, uh, I usually wear shoes, you know, because she likes that when I like, you know, and I like, I like shave and stuff. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I uh, just sort of given it all. Uh, for my wife, because she likes it when, I, when I'm attractive, you know, and it doesn't take much because, you know, I'm just so incredibly hot to, to my wife, right, honey? Honey? Okay. But of course, there's, uh, you know, it's not hard to see in our culture that a lot of people try to be attractive uh, in ways that are not particularly helpful, right? You, know, you don't want to just be pleasant looking for your spouse, but you want to be sexy enough to dominate, uh, you know, other people your age, or you want to look really rich and really wealthy and really awesome so that people love you, you know, they admire you, respect you, uh, whatever. It can be narcissistic, in other words, it can be very self-involved, and uh, if you are a narcissistic, self-involved 
uh, person and I love you uh, this week, you might just become more narcissistic and self-involved, right? You might think, yeah, it's working. I am that awesome. Everybody loves me uh, because I am worthy of worship. And uh, you, know, you can be loving, you can be lovable, or you can be demanding, which is you can demand the love that you think you, you need. Uh, we can turn a need into a deserving, right? And, and this happens a lot to wounded people. Uh, we grew up in families that perhaps were not as loving and supportive as, as they should have been, or in environments that were not as loving and supportive as they should have been. And then we go forth into the world as sort of angry victims, like, no, you owe me love. And the thing about that strategy is that there is a kernel of truth to it, because everybody deserves love in, in a way of thinking. Uh, but you can get very, very demanding about this, usually, again, out of, out of woundedness. Um, your language can be filled with moral overtones. We can turn love into a, into a right. We have a very rich rights-based language uh, in our culture today. Like, you're not giving me my rights. You're not giving me the love that I deserve. You're not treating me the way I deserve. And things will get better in this relationship or in this set of relationships once you give me what I demand. You know, because I'm in the right. Uh, and we can see that from things as complicated as national race relations and as ordinary as a relationship between spouses or parents and kids. You know, demand-based strategy for getting love. If you're a demanding person and I love you this week, you might just become more demanding thinking that your strategy has worked, that you are indeed in the right and that the love I give you just, just proves that it is so and you may focus on ways in which you've been victimized or hurt or been at a deficit, uh, sometimes insisting on them because that's the way that you can secure the love that you need. Now, we are human beings and what we often do is we use some combination of these strategies. We all know that we should be loving and we've all probably experienced loving someone and it feels right and it feels good and it feels empowering and you know, we do like to be lovable in some fashion. We like to be uh, attractive in a way perhaps that pleases those who love us. Nothing wrong uh, with stuff like this. And, you know, we've all been hurt. Uh, we've all been wounded, some of us more than others. Um, and uh, we know what it's like to kind of be pushed to the edge and have to make panic demands uh, for love. There's nothing wrong with being angry about the lack of love in your life. There's nothing wrong with being angry about the lack of love in the world wherever it is that you're encountering it. But the genius of people like, I don't know, let's just say Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi, was that they wed the pursuit of love, the pursuit of, let's just say, human rights, with a campaign for being loving. That's what I love about, about those guys. They're like, no, we will be treated with justice so that we can sit down together at the table of brotherhood and love each other as God intended. You know, let us love you freely and love us freely. That's a potent message, you know, used by the great reformers like MLK, like Gandhi, and like that other guy. What's his name? Jesus. That's it. Yes. Him. Yes, I know what you want to do is love your enemies. 
uh, he showed up in, in a politically oppressed environment where the Romans were essentially beating up on his people, occupying his country, treating them like second-class citizens. And he said, yeah, you have to love them. You have to make cause, you have to make love the celebrated cause. Um, just a meditation on love. Um, and not so much a meditation on injustice, which is prevalent, we understand that, but a meditation on love. And as people of love and people of light, I just, uh, I just bless you in one way, shape, or form to take that forward uh, into the world. Amen? Scene two. Okay, that sucked. Scene two. Thank you. Uh, we did this retreat recently, and we talked about purpose. We talked about having a mission, having a purpose in life. You guys remember this? And we've been talking about it uh, quite a bit, um, uh, reviewing some uh, potent and perhaps familiar uh, scripture verses, uh, like you have on the back of your program, from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Paul, talking to the church in Ephesus, he says, For it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. God went after you and he restored you. He saved you. Not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, you didn't earn it. God just loved you and saved you. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what I love about this little snippet? Is that first, Paul says, look, the only reason that we are right with God, the only reason that we are saved, that we are so-so, that we are restored, uh, is because God loved us. We didn't work for that. It's not our works that bring salvation uh, from the Lord uh, into our lives. But then in the very next breath, he says, we are created to do good works. Right? Isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Your good works are not what made God love you and restore you. But now that he has loved you and restored you, you've got good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. You've got a calling, a purpose, a mission on your life. You receive love from God, you give love from God. That's the way this works. And when we are called by Jesus into salvation, we are called to a mission. We are called to a purpose. And uh, I've uh, been talking about how important it is to live life at the level of your purpose, to live life at the level of your big God-given purpose. We all have a general purpose in the world. What is it? To be salt and light. How did that go this week? Anybody out there salt and light for other people? Any time? Great, four of us, awesome. We'll be taking over the world shortly. Just give me, a, give me an amen. All right, there, I knew more people were salt and light. You're just afraid to admit it because you're that humble. Um, but live life at the level of your purpose. Live life according to your purpose, according to your calling, according to your mission, because that's where the power is in life. If you are living life according to your purpose, then you have power uh, for uh, the rest of it. Um, and uh, your purpose is what makes everything line up in your life. If you are not pursuing your purpose in life, then you're going to be sick, you're going to be weak, you're going to be anemic, and you're going to be frustrated, ultimately. So we talked about this at the uh, church retreat. Um, we talked about having a pathway to purpose. You remember that? Uh, and uh, it went something, something like this. I brought out the whiteboard, because uh, what we used uh, on the retreat. And the first element is what? Mission. Mission is just another word for, you can call it purpose. 
or you can call it calling. It's all kind of the same. And then your purpose, your, your mission is supported by your vision, which is supported by your tools, which is supported by your virtues. Very good. You guys actually remember that. So your mission and your purpose is what you do in life, what you do in life. We all share a purpose uh, generally. We are all salt and light. Our job is to flavor any situation that we're in with God lo God's love and, and God's uh, truth. But we all have a unique mission as well, um, uh, a unique way that we're supposed to do that. I like think a wonderful song that Sean and Megan led earlier today, that we are unique in the way we're built. We have a unique way of showing God's love and bringing joy uh, to God's heart. Um, a vision is how we go about accomplishing our purpose. So it's the how-to. And then the tools are the gifts, the resources, uh, the skills, the capacities that we use in order to accomplish our vision. You know, so if your vision is to, I don't know, make uh, beautiful music that shows the love of God and the truth of God to the world, uh, then your vision might be, you know, having a great uh, band uh, and developing bands for the Lord. So your tools are going to be like, you know, guitar playing or um, a really great voice or something like that. And then there are virtues uh, which sort of support the whole thing. Virtues like love, like generosity, like grace, like faith, like discipline, like whatever. They're just, you know, an almost infinite number of, of virtues. Uh, this is where the maturity comes from. This is where the stick to comes from and stuff like that. We can't go through this all um, today, uh, but a couple points that I wanted to stress as a reminder and to just bring us all together uh, as we think about this, because not everybody was at the retreat, right? But we're going to go forward together. Uh, is that really your mission or your purpose is what makes it all click? Uh, or as Jesus said, uh, in Max, Matthew 6, 33, also in your program, uh, I believe. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his kingdom, his justice, his order, his way of doing things. And then all these things will be given you as well. That if you prioritize rightly, if you prioritize the kingdom, bringing kingdom order into the world, if you prioritize your God-given calling and purpose, then the rest of it will fall into line. First things first. And that's why we have to have a purpose-driven life. That's why it's constantly important for us to ask ourselves, do I know my purpose? Am I moving in my purpose? That's like huge. That's everything. And what we need to do as a community is to keep on it. Are you being salt and light? Are you pursuing the purpose that you uniquely feel you should pursue? Yes or no? How are you doing on that? To be a coaching community, those are the questions that we need to ask each other all the time. You with me so far? One clarification that I wanted to make today is I wanted to uh, really underscore the difference between mission and purpose and vision because I think these are often confused and it can lead to some unfortunate delays. Uh, mission of purpose is what you do. All right, so let's just leave it at the most general level. We are all supposed to be salt and light. We are all supposed to be discipling all the time. At work, at school, in our family, with our neighbors, always be discipling. 
always be moving people closer to God. Always. We all have to do that. Your vision is how you go about doing it. Um, so, um, at, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be salt and light in the world. Uh, the way that I do it uh, uniquely is that I, I change culture. By that, what I mean is I change the dominant culture and the way it thinks about God. People have the wrong ideas about God, the wrong motives and stuff like that, and uh, I, I tweak people's brains. That's what I do. Um, I'm, I'm constantly like redefining the world for people, at least that's what I fancy. I, that's my unique way of bringing salt and light. Um, you can decide if I'm right or wrong, um, but that's kind of how I have learned to think about myself. Now, how do I do that? How do I go about doing that? Well, I got a couple ways. Uh, one, I, I build faith communities. You probably can't see that in the back row, but pretend you can. Uh, and, I, and I write. I write books. I write articles and things like that. Um, I just got uh, news this week that uh, the book I wrote a few years ago, Miracle Work, about supernatural ministry, just got released in its second edition by InterVarsity. So people are reading it. It's sold out in its first edition, so there are some more thousands of copies out there. Yay. Um, but what I'm trying to do there is change dominant culture, change the way that people think uh, about God. And then I have certain tools. Uh, I need to be uh, a good discipler if I'm building faith communities like Blue Water Mission. And of course, I need, I need writing tools. And, and I, could go, I could go on from there. A lot of us obsess about the vision part in life. I have a vision for my life. I am going to, uh, in my case, build a church, or I'm going to write a book, or I'm going to uh, become a great artist, or I'm going to be a successful business person, or I'm going to uh, captain a very large sailboat for Jesus, or, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get married and, and raise a holy family, or something like that. Those are all at the vision level. You understand the difference? not at the purpose level. Your purpose is to express God's love in the world. What happens for us is that when our vision isn't happening yet, we think we have no purpose yet. Are you following me? Right? I, uh, I haven't built a great small group in my home. I haven't, I don't know, what, it, what are you going to do to be salt and light? I haven't mastered the art of block parties with my neighbor or something like that. My, that, that. That's my vision. And so you think that you can't have purpose yet. But in fact, purpose is permanent. Discipling all the time is the only way uh, to do that. Vision can be delayed. It takes a long time to write a book. <laughs> um, vision can be delayed. Your vision in life can be delayed. Maybe uh, you haven't built a successful business yet. Maybe uh, you haven't gotten married yet. Don't delay life because your vision hasn't happened. More importantly, don't delay purpose because your vision hasn't happened. You have to do purpose now. Why? Because purpose is where the power is. 
Seek first his kingdom, seek first that calling, and then everything falls into line. You understand? You can't just twiddle your thumbs until things start working out like you want them to. That's a sure way to get dead in the water. That's a sure way to be stifled in the world. Say amen if you're following me. Um, so uh, we can get stuck thinking, how can I live with purpose when my vision isn't happening yet? Um, and the answer is, well, easy. Put purpose in your situation right now. Whatever you're doing, before you leave, discipleship someone in the church. Um, when you go to work tomorrow, make sure that you influence someone in your office toward Jesus. That will release power for the next part of your vision. Yes? Follow me? So uh, this, is the, this is election season. And one of the things that frustrates me about the big uh, elections is that we have a lot of politicians who always have a great vision, right? They have a, they have a great vision for solving the problems of the poor. Sometimes very different visions, but they have, they have a vision. And, and doggone it, if you only vote for me, we will get this vision done. But then I kind of look at their life, and I think, yes, but where is your purpose? You know, you have, you have vision for solving the, the homeless crisis in, in Hawaii. Uh, so tell me about the homeless person that you took into your home. Tell me about the homeless family that you, that you took care of and got rooted and grounded in, in a new place. Tell me about how you've pursued purpose. But since they are not people of purpose by and large, and I don't mean to be critical, you know, not anyone in particular, I'm just saying, I, I'm not sure they're all moving in the kingdom way, you know. Show me a person of purpose, and I'm not even so concerned about the details of the vision, because I know the vision will come. I want to be purpose-driven, and not issue debating. You know what I mean? Give me a people of purpose, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that racial crises will work themselves out. Give me people of purpose, and I'm pretty sure that educational crises will work themselves out. The clash of visions does not interest me very much. Okay, I'm going to get off that soapbox right now. But it also applies to our individual life. Be a person of purpose, and your vision will come, no sweat. Your vision might be edited eventually. Great, no problem. My vision certainly have been over the course of my life. But as what has been a constant drumbeat for me is purpose, uh, is, is kingdom purpose. Um, so don't confuse purpose with vision. Say amen. amen. Scene three. I'm just going to let that one go for comic value. <clears throat> Excuse me. Which brings me uh, to the need to fight chaos. Because the world is not neutral. And you do not have to read the front page headlines of CNN.com to know that this is the case. Uh, the world is filled with chaos. It pushes back on the kingdom and God's righteousness. Uh, by and large, the world does not like it. The world is, is not neutral. Um, it will attack your purpose like nobody's business. In fact, chaos will concentrate around your purpose. 
the more you try to move in your purpose, the more you try to move in your calling, the more you try to be salt and light, chaos will marshal its forces right at that point because there's a spiritual gravity in the world that works against us, cuts against us, which means we have to be people of force. We have to be willing to, to push through. I don't need to fight chaos uh, in the world. Uh, it's worth knowing how chaos works generally, and it's worth knowing how chaos works in your life. Chaos has a huge number of weapons, uh, but here are four uh, big ones. Vagueness, delay, distraction, and what I will call uh, half-built towers, the half-built tower syndrome. Um, doing things only halfway. Um, so vagueness is when, you know, it's not, chaos doesn't come and convince you that you have no purpose. It just keeps you fuzzy on your purpose. It, it doesn't challenge your thinking about purpose and calling. It just encourages you not to think about purpose and calling. So we will go through entire days. We will go through entire weeks. We will go through entire months and never really think about being salt and light at work. Never really think about our purpose in the world. Uh, chaos, I will tell you, will get you to think a ton about your vision if it means it can keep you from thinking about your purpose in the moment. You know, you will plan endlessly about what you want your life to be like as long as chaos can get you to not actually move in your purpose today. Just keep it vague. Let's just kind of keep it foggy. Um, which leads to like the second big chaos attack. Maybe it's the first biggest. I don't know where this lines up, but delay. Purpose tries to, uh, excuse me, chaos gets you to try to delay your purpose. We had a great retreat next week. It was awesome. Chaos was defeated, and chaos knows it. And so what it tried to get you to do this week is nothing. It's like, that was awesome. You learned so much. You are so clear. You are not vague anymore. So in November, we're going to really think about this hard. Just kind of delay action at all costs. Chaos doesn't say you will never be a person of purpose. Chaos just says you just won't be a person of purpose this afternoon. Because, you know, the, because the game's on. Or, you know, there are too many other things to handle. Chaos says, oh, yeah, sure, take action. Just don't take action now. And delay often kicks our butt. Uh, and then there's distraction. Uh, just loads and loads and loads of distractions uh, in, in my life this week. Because the world is overly complicated. If I say, what's hard about, what's hard about being involved in church? You will say, it's because my life is so busy. Everybody is overly busy uh, in the world. Uh, and, and there are important things with which to be busy. Uh, so many ways in which crises can come into our lives, you know. Sure and, and, and worthwhile responsibilities that we need to pay uh, attention to. Uh, so many, in fact, that chaos can bombard us with them and distract us. Instead of putting first things first, we'll put first thing eighth because there are so many other things to attend to. And once we start to get it figured out and get our priorities set, chaos will distract us with 
sin because, you know, we're so tired after all, and it's just not fair. We have so many things to do, and we just kind of need a break, and we can't get a break, so here, go to this porn site, or here, um, you know, you need to uh, sulk right now, uh, and that will solve all your relational problems, or, you know, you need to, whatever, you need to distract yourself in some way, healthy or otherwise. Uh, and there's the half-built tower thing. The hardest part of any project is not the beginning. <laughs> the hardest part of any project is trying to finish it. And so we go through life, as Jesus talked about often, we build the tower halfway, or we go to war, and then we're like, oh, do we, do we have the ability to finish this off? And we often get caught in the middle in our purpose. Like, we step out on Monday, we step out on Tuesday, and then by Wednesday, we're distracted, or something, and, and we just kind of find ourselves in the middle. It's like, well, everybody knows that I'm a Christian, so now I'm responsible to live like a Christian, and that's just an unfair burden. Why can't I just be a regular person, and life is just so busy, and we just kind of get stuck uh, in the middle. Or you make choices based on virtue, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to date the wrong person. I'm going to say no to this temptation. I'm going to do that, but now, you know, I'm of an age, and I'm not married yet, and I'm stuck in the middle, you know? You feel all of the costs of your choices, but you're not harvesting the benefit yet as you see them, because the thing isn't, like, finished. That's tough, right? That's tough, right? And those are the moments in which chaos just uh, pounces on us. Anyway, chaos fights. Chaos fights. So we need to fight chaos to pursue our purpose every day. Um, spiritual battle, spiritual struggle. The world, will, the world will hate you, Jesus said. It will just hate you. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, is how Paul put it. You know. <clears throat> I want to think, uh, just to close out, in particular today, about delay. Specifically, um, because to delay your purpose is to rob yourself of power. And one way in which we often delay, like I said, is we confuse vision with purpose. We think so hard about how we want to do things, about how we want to live, about how we want life to be, that we don't actually pursue purpose today. And it robs us of our power because our power comes from our purpose. So I'm here to encourage you this morning to move in purpose now, to move in purpose this week, wherever you are this week, in your homes, in your offices, in your classrooms, in your neighborhoods. You have to move with purpose this week. That will release everything else. You can't delay that. You can't pursue vision before you pursue purpose. We're clear on that, right? Uh, and the first thing you need to really work purpose into your daily life is some sort of routine to do it. The first thing you need to get decided in your mind is how you're going to do purpose now. Not ideally, not ultimately, but right now. I mean, do you, do you have a way to talk to your coworkers significantly? Do you have a way to converse on a significant level with the people around you? 
I think all of you do, uh, because, you know, we talk a lot about good discipling questions and stuff. What's a good discipling question? What's important in your life right now? That's a great discipling question. It opens up a significant conversation. Anybody have a different one? How can I help you? Excellent one. What was that? What's God been saying to you uh, recently? Which is a really interesting question uh, to ask non-believers. <laughs> uh, I've had some great conversations that way. Um, I don't believe in God. Well, now we're off and running. Um, you know, just the art of having significant conversations. But I want, I want to encourage you to unleash your creativity uh, on this. Unleash yourself. Right? You don't need a, a big vision to unleash your purpose. Right? And, and anyway, uh, dude, I, I, I was trying something this week, uh, and I think, I think I'm going to extend it next week. I think I have an idea about doing this. But uh, the question of the week. Uh, the question of the week. I used to do this when I had office jobs, and I, like out in the real world. I have an office job now, but it's in the church world, and that's just like weird. Um, but I, um, I used to have themes of the week or questions of the week. And I'm, I'm going to figure out how to get back to this. I thought, well, maybe I'll get a button that said, ask me for the question of the week and see if... Uh, uh, so if somebody bothers me in the coffee shop, I'll just point. Um, but what are the good questions? Out of, a good question of the week in, in your office might be, what gets you out of bed in the morning? No, no, no. Before you talk to me about the Simpson file, here's the question of the week. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Got you out of bed today. And what are people going to say? They're probably going to say, the dog. Or, you know, uh, the alarm clock. Or, or something like that. But immediately, you're often you're having a significant conversation. Uh, because you can either share what got you out of bed, and maybe not the alarm. Um, maybe it was just like... Um, a desire to make the day significant or something like that. Or you can ask a follow-up question like, um, what do you wish got you out of bed in the morning? You know, and hopefully they're not going to say a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. Um, you know, but, but even if they say something like that, um, you, have, you have a place to go uh, in that conversation. Anybody else have any cool ideas? Well, let's share them. What's that? You got one already? How was your weekend? How was your weekend? Okay, let's tune that a little bit. How was your weekend? Good. How do you make it even a little more significant? What is the best part of your weekend? All right. So I think that's like one order of magnitude better. Um, how would we tune that even more? Why was it the best part of your weekend? Now we're getting a little bit better. The why questions are always the best questions, right? Sure. What was the challenge this weekend? What was the challenge in your life this weekend? I like that. Optimistic. You know. Why did your weekend suck? No, no, don't ask that. No. Was there anything challenging in your weekend? John would ask it in a nice way. And I think that's, that's great. Already you're off, and, you're off and running. Yeah, Nalani. What would be your dream weekend? Yeah, sure. What would be your dream weekend, and why is that significant to you? Right? Because you always want to put a little point on it. Good. This is fun. 
Yeah, we got two minutes. Let's hear some more. Yeah. It's not about weekends. Excellent, because Mia is creative. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? So just like the icebreaker question. Yeah, there are all sorts of psychological profiles on this. If you say invisibility, then you're a sneaky person who can't be trusted. If you say flying, then you have a hero complex. Mine is always the superpower of persuasion, because then I could get people to do whatever I want. Tells you loads about me, right? Um, and how could you tune that a little more? Why did you pick that? How could you tune that a little bit more? Yeah, so what, what is that solving in your life right now, I think, is where you want that to go. You see? You see how it works? Now we're getting to a level of significance. One more. This is fun. You guys are great. We're unleashing. You know what we're doing here? We're unleashing purpose. Uh, Rich, did you have one? Oh, I, like, I like this a lot. What's something you wish you would have done by now? See, that, that, that's, that question is worthy of a Matthew party. That's worthy of just inviting a bunch of people over to your home and having some sort of dinner or potluck or something like that and making that the question of the night for everybody. All right. What's something you wish you would have done by now? What's the follow-up? Why haven't you, what's holding you back? Why, something, something like this, right? Which is fantastic, which is why I love questions like this, because what does it take you to? Purpose. Purpose. What you want to talk about in one way, shape, or form with people, with the people sitting next to you, with the loved ones in your family, with the people in your offices, with people on the streets, what you want to talk about is their purpose. That's where you want to take it. And when you unleash your questions, just sort of visualize the path that will take you to a conversation about purpose. You have purpose, and it is leading your life. Or at least it should be. Your purpose, pursuing your purpose, is the loving thing for you to do in the world. Why? Because your purpose, if it's any purpose at all, has to do with loving people. If it's a God-given purpose, that it's, it's, it's gonna to, it's, has to do with loving people in, in a godly way. So what I try to do in the world is I try to release people into their purpose-driven life. I try to release people into their big God-given purpose. And what I encounter is loads and loads of people who have no idea they have one, who have no idea how purpose works in the world, who are consumed with problems and conflicts, maybe even consumed with vision or with getting more tools into their life and building skills that are marketable and stuff like that, but they have no idea that there is a huge loving purpose in their design that they should pursue for the sake of all of us. People have no idea how significant and powerful they are. And people get crazed they get crazy when they don't know what their purpose is. They get crazy when they're not flowing in love. It would be another way to express it. People get crazed when they feel purposelessness. And when they feel purposelessness, they feel powerless. And when they feel powerless, they, they get sick. We need to restore purpose in the world. 
great questions are a, a way to do that. And you can be part of the answer as long as you are part of the answer now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not November, but as long as you don't delay, then you are building the world forward. You are releasing purpose. You know how else to do that? You know who else did it? That guy, what's his name? Jesus, that was it. He went around saying, pray, let your kingdom come. Let your order, let your purpose come. He went around saying, seek first the kingdom. He ran around saying, you, follow me, and I will make something of you. I will make you a, a fisher of men. I will build my church upon you. You will be a foundation for, for changed lives. You will be a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Jesus is always declaring purpose over people's lives. And we need to do that too. It's part of being salt and light. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would release purpose into our body so that we can release purpose into the world. We can release purpose into every tragic situation. We can release purpose into every boring situation. We can release purpose in, into every uh, stale pattern around us. Raise us up, Lord. I pray, uh, Father, uh, especially this week, that you would give us a fighting spirit against delay in particular. If the thing is worth doing, it's probably worth doing now. I pray, Lord, that you would give us um, quick eyes and quicker quicker hearts of love, that we would have uh, fast twitch discipling. It might be hard, but it is not complicated. And I feel like that's a word uh, from the Lord for our congregation this week. You know, it might be hard, but it's not complicated. It's simple. Straightforward. Might feel hard. But you can do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Ready, cut. Excellent.